0: And my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal. You know that. Fire!
1: Just like last time. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board
0: is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One of state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race.
1: Joseph a Philly girl when I'm a screen The race for governor has attracted more national attention than any in Pennsylvania history. A few days after the Pennsylvania primary, at the end of May, David Siders, the national political correspondent for Politico, traveled to rural Franklin County. He spent time chatting with residents of Mercersburg, a town with a population of about 1,500. His in-depth article about that trip and State Senator Mastriano's campaign is absolutely worth reading. Let's go behind the scenes with David. And so, we're going to take this state you know, by storm, we're going to restore freedom and liberty, we're going to remember what our founding fathers, all of which spent time in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, creating this beautiful nation that we have. David Siders, welcome to my kitchen table. Thanks so much for having me. I, you know, I wish I would. we were both sitting at a kitchen table in Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. You had the chance to uh, to go there recently and you know, I don't think we have a lot of listeners in Franklin County. but. If you can tell uh, our listeners a little about that trip, uh, a little about your impressions of Mercersburg.
0: Yeah, well, Mercersburg itself, geez, the, the cities out there are, or the towns are remarkable, right? You run into people, families has been on the land for a long, long time, uh, the, the buildings there. The, what was interesting to me was the amount of signage still for Donald Trump and, and for Doug Mastriano, which is why I was out there writing about Pennsylvania's new uh, Republican gubernatorial nominee.
1: Before we uh, get into the the hills and the farmland of South Central Pennsylvania, maybe let's take a step back and tell folks a little about what a typical week is like at Politico and how you, uh, uh, even before then, how you uh, landed at a great publication like that. It's nice of you to say that. I think it is too. I I think a
0: typical week is different for a lot of different people at Politico. We have, you know, for me, it's... uh, I cover politics nationally, so I try to find stories that are interesting out there and go after them. Some of them take a few hours, and some a few weeks. This one about Mastriano, you know, really uh, just maybe a few days out there in Pennsylvania and a few days reporting around it, writing about him. And I've been a reporter, well, since since I've been working, I guess, um, starting at local papers and and now at Politico, mostly through. You just fall backwards into good luck or something, but that's uh, that's why I'm there, and that's why I was in Mercersburg.
1: So when I, I'd be curious, when was the first time you or uh, your editors uh, heard about State Senator Mastriano? Hey, that's
0: an interesting question because we have a really good reporter based in Pennsylvania who had obviously heard about Mastriano long before most people were paying attention, and that's Holly Otterbein, who's who's just fantastic and knows the state inside and out, and would have been. You know, I think accurately calling that we should be paying attention to this person months before for the rest of us. But I think I think when when I I started to take it seriously was after the the election, right after the 2020 election, and Mastriano really became a, a figure in the effort to, to overturn the results, uh, the the pushing of the the lie that the election was stolen, and then obviously in state he became prominent around around COVID restrictions uh, as well. But I think outside of state lines, what was interesting was his tethering of himself to Trump.
1: Yeah, and we we shouldn't forget, and listeners were recording um, uh, on the anniversary of the first day of the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, which is in State Senator Mastriano's district. And I suppose Mm -hmm. as the crow flies is about, 30, 40 miles from uh, from Mercersburg where you reported from. But let's go back to that trip. I mean, you're you're privileged to travel to kind of purple state, purple congressional district, USA. I mean, tell folks a little about this specific trip because it doesn't get a lot of uh, you know out of state visitors to, to that county. It's a fairly rural place.
0: Yeah, well, I think my interest was in seeing where you know. I guess I could have gone to Harrisburg to to see him there, or. You know, any of maybe the more politically uh, relevant places to the November election. But I, I was more interested in this base of supporters he has and explaining why maybe he has this. Um, so many people are fond of him I, because however you cut it, whatever, whatever you want to say about the percentage in the primary or what it ends up being in, in the general, there are a lot of people in Pennsylvania who are supporters of his. And so I wanted to see you know, I, I wanted to see where he lived and where he goes to church, uh, the people who know him there. And, and that was the reason for going out to, to that district. Also just logistically, we were interested in him pretty quickly after he won the, the primary. And so was trying to find some places where you could catch up to him and see him interacting with people. And you may be aware that Mastriano is not the most press, um, friendly person, so it's not like they're willing to give schedules or uh, engage at all with me in in where he's planning to be. So the Memorial Day weekend, he had a few events that were publicly listed and that logistically that made that make sense.
1: No, and I mean, I think now more than ever in recent history, we're seeing the importance of a free press uh, with this horrible war in Ukraine and the difference between a democracy and an autocracy Yeah, we, we shouldn't forget what happened. And I guess the details are still murky, but the weekend before the primary in Bucks County when uh, reporters were, I think, physically, uh, literally physically barred from uh, attending that, that last event before the primary. I mean, so- it's just remarkable. It's So many
0: Republican candidates, it's a shtick that works for Republicans with their base, which is to be at odds with the the press. And so most Republicans you cover, uh, and, and certainly, if not the candidate themselves, the, the operation around them, the advisors, the people who you are know, with the candidate, it's, it's almost a, a there, there's a two-pronged kind of approach, right? In public, it's bash the media, talk about how horrible they are, uh, point to them in the back of the room and, and tear them down, which is effective. But then most Republican candidates, because they also recognize that the media, while maybe diminished in its power, um, still has some, does not go out of its way to be to, to have conflict on the on the outside of public view with, with press, right? So there are these kind of normal relationships that advisors will have with reporters. In public, the candidate will bash the reporters and then they will go back on the sidelines to having kind of normal conversations. With Mastriano, it seems to be uh, none of that political work uh, with the media. And you see this elsewhere too, like in the Republican candidates who he defeated, who said they had not... Heard from him in the days after the election. For, politically, that's bizarre. You know, you would want to be coalescing as much support as you possibly could be. So, I guess you can give the campaign credit for consistency.
1: Well, you also had one of his rivals on the record, former Congresswoman Melissa Hart from outside of Pittsburgh, uh, who had some some strong um, words. And it, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, often in this period, a month after the primary, five to six weeks at the latest, there's often some sort of unity. Fundraiser, Unity Gala, Rally, but maybe, maybe I don't want to assume. Although I'll chastise them for not, uh, I don't want to assume that folks uh, uh, have, have read your your piece. So maybe you can just share a little about what Congresswoman Hart had to say. Yeah, well, she said that
0: she said he comes across as a cult guy when she was talking about the the kind of support that he had and how he would you know, he interacts with supporters on on Facebook. It's or on other social media streams, I guess. So yeah, that that's pretty sharp.
1: Yeah, I I should say what as we've mentioned, you've been all over the country this election cycle, previous election cycles. Reporting, we we like to think Pennsylvania is unique and distinct, but I mean, to what degree are these themes, uh, this rhetoric, just the way in which this campaign is being managed? I mean, have you seen anything similar to this? Yeah,
0: well, I mean, there are some things that are different, obviously, but I think what what is similar is the religious overtones to the campaign, and that really does strike me as interesting about Mastriano, that it's not a one-off in terms of this kind of merging of the far right in Republican politics and religiosity. Uh, There there is, I I think some people would call it Christian nationalism, although Mastriano has rejected that that label. And I, I think that plays an important part in Republican politics right now, not just in Pennsylvania, but elsewhere. So that, I think, is illuminating. It may get its best Case in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is special, and it's it's special because it's such a close, you know, swing state. It's so important, and you have these you have both Philadelphia and the city, and then also these areas like like Mercer'sburg. and and I don't think it's wrong to think that Pennsylvania is special. I think it will be special as a test of this kind of Christian fusion with conservative politics nationally. So I, I. I do think it's special, but as a, you know, sort of some kind of barometer of where we are in the nation.
1: I mean, it, it, in, in politics, it was eons ago, but the the Bush-Cheney re-election campaign in 2004 spent a significant amount of time in South Central Pennsylvania, uh, massive voter registration efforts at some of these large churches and their picnics. Uh, and then just two years later, we had Senator Santorum really doubling down on, on these themes. But it, it does... Seem that over the fifteen plus years that these themes have have morphed, uh, shall we say?
0: I think they have. I think they've become more central to the campaigns and more, more almost more performative. I, I mean, I, I don't think that the campaigns years ago had this kind of feel of a you know almost a revival, a religious revival that that Mastriano's events certainly do, and some some elsewhere. I, I mean, these are. These are campaign events where Christian music is being played, you know, next to the waving of the flag. Where you know, I mean, Mastriano stamps on his his campaign sign, right? The the Bible verse about Jesus being the the one who provides freedom. That that I don't think has been so explicit in the past.
1: Well, I, I certainly can't think of something uh, in a statewide context in Pennsylvania or, or elsewhere. So it's interesting to me. I mean, my my takeaway from your excellent piece was the the fervor, the passion of the, the senator's base is because of this, and not necessarily because of his his his, his military service uh, or because of election denial and these other themes. But it really is is he's he's just talking our language when it comes to uh, to our faith.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And obviously, there's a connection between election denial and faith I, I mean polling polling shows it right the evangelical right is, or evangelicals are more likely than any other group of believers or non-believers uh, to believe wrongly that that the election was stolen so there's a there's a part of that in this which is that you know, you know they think this is a calling from God to or they say that it's a calling from God to right the wrongs of the perceived wrongs of the 2020 election. So I do think there is a, you know, a pairing there and certainly where Mastriano picked up so much of his support. There's this, yeah, and, and that's why we see these stories. It's, this is like the Mike Lindell, the, the woman who ran for governor in Idaho. These are all people who are running on this idea that, that God and America are intertwined and that they are the, you know, the manifestation of, of the effort to more closely bring them together.
1: So, your, your your visit and reporting were before the January 6th the, the hearings that have begun grappled uh, the attention of, I think, not just Pennsylvania, but the entire nation and really, they've even had friends overseas who are watching this. I guess what I'm trying to digest or understand is, I'm thinking the best way to phrase this, David. So, it's it's abundantly clear that Vice President Pence is a man of faith. I don't know that the same could be said for President Trump. So to what extent, if any, did Vice President Pence and his faith come up uh, in your conversations? Or maybe I'm way off the mark here. It's interesting. Pence is a
0: traitor, right? If you're a a Doug Mastriano supporter and and you're right. I, I mean, if you go, one thing that you would hear about Mastriano is that He's almost, Trump, evangelicals had to come to Trump, right? They had to be convinced of it. It was not a sure bet in 2015 or early 2016 that Trump would have the religious right. People were rightly skeptical of him in religious circles for a lot of different reasons. It took some victories early on and then a lot of convincing, I think, from people like Ralph Reed and others to make that coalition. And then it took three Supreme Court appointments to solidify, I think, his place in, in their, they're obviously supportive now because they, they got those appointments, which are just hugely important to conservative Christians. mostriano's a little bit different because he doesn't have that baggage. I mean, he doesn't have for at least his supporters will tell you, here's a guy who does not have, you know, however many ex-wives or you know, those kind of scandals in the past, they, they see here somebody who's
1: of the faith. And so I, I think that does aid him a little bit with the base. They have nothing to get over. The, the other kind of head scratcher for me, right? I mean, in the Republican Senate primary at the exact same time, there were a lot, a lot of questions about the two leading contestants, Oz and McCormick, being from out of state. And for all purposes, the, the, this, this didn't come up. Senator Mastriano is from New Jersey. And I mean, you see somewhat of a new transplant. Did this come up at all? I mean, because you're going to fairly small, one of the most rural counties of Pennsylvania that just doesn't get a lot of folks moving from New Jersey to there. Yeah, that's true. Not at all in my
0: conversations, but then he'd already won the election too. I mean, there is something about somebody, maybe if I'd gone earlier when it had been more competitive, when it wasn't clear that he would win, there might've been that that kind of grumbling. But. I, I think also he did establish himself in state in a couple of ways that were important to them. I mean, he's in the legislature and became a really vocal, you know, force, I think, on the anti-COVID restriction campaign, in addition to the the stop the steal lie. So maybe not homegrown, but I think viewed as as well, you would have to tell me you're you're much closer to this than I am, but. He strikes me as somebody who is of the, at least of the activist
1: crowd in Pennsylvania, not foreign to it. Is that right? Well, yeah, I think, I think what I would say, and then increasingly we have a lot of listeners outside of Pennsylvania. So the Pennsylvania State Senate is comprised of 50 senators. It's a full-time legislature. The Republicans uh, have a solid majority. And the manner in which he's built his office, his schedule, uh, it's just very different than the mold of most uh, state senators. And in a way, I think it'll be interesting, regardless of what happens in November, it'll be very interesting to see if there's other state senators who um, that come about or they're currently in the legislature who, who, who try to pivot that way, you know, in terms of, and something I, I you know, I think listeners would be interested in talking about, you know, in terms of these national podcasts and, and Facebook living room conversations and things like this, that he really built his his brand and his reputation about.
0: Maybe there's a comparison to, I was in Alaska to, to work on a story about the former governor there running running for Congress. And it, one difference that strikes me is definitely Alaskans feel that Sarah Palin is no longer of Alaska, or at least a lot of Alaska Republicans in Wasilla and around there, although she very well may win the, the congressional seat. Because so much of her money and profile was coming from outside of the state, with Mastriano, it's not like the guy raised any money, I, I mean, comparatively. Or, you know, yeah, he's on Newsmax nationally, but he's not a star out there, right? He's not, Doug Mastriano is not Palin. So it, it does, it seems to me that there's something else going on there. It's not like he's nationally been lifted through Pennsylvania. I feel like like the Republicans in Pennsylvania, at least his base supporters in this one area of the state that I spoke with. Had some connection to him that was different than you see with some of these folks with national profiles.
1: Well, we have a, you know, we have a lot of operatives and candidates and sitting office soldiers who, uh, who who listen to this podcast, David. And you know, I think it might be somewhat granular, but I think a lot of folks are still scratching their head, right? That the <laughs> the the, high, the highest net worth Pennsylvanian. Estimates are that he invested $13 million to make sure that Bill McSwain, the former U.S. attorney, would win the governor's nomination. Most candidates would then go and visit with these kind of elite, top-tier national donors and state donors. My understanding in the last five weeks since the nomination this that that really has not happened. There has not been an effort to engage with, with any sort of deep-pocketed interest, and It's pretty remarkable. This stands in complete contrast to what drives a lot of Josh Shapiro's schedule, which unfortunately is is fundraising. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't know what to make of it. It
0: seems like a political mistake. On the other hand, if the the polling is not particularly terrible for Mastriano, if anything, since I was out there and since I've been paying attention, from what I gather is that the polling has tightened a little bit. There are at least some
1: nervous Democrats now. So I, you're right. I'm I'm scratching my head as well. You've been super generous with your time. So we're winding down. You know, another major takeaway from your piece is it seems like Doug Mastriano is not running against Josh Shapiro. He's running against Washington. He's running against President Biden. He's running against Hollywood. Uh, whereas Josh Shapiro uh, very much is talking about uh, his advocacy, his efforts fighting for Pennsylvanians uh, as Attorney General and before that as County Commissioner. So. It's just an interesting uh, juxtaposition.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. It really is. It's like there are uh, two campaigns passing in the night or something. Although, as we know, you know, Shapiro spent money to elevate Mastriano because he wants to run against him. So Mastriano is also getting hit, hit right now by Democrats right on abortion uh, in advertising in the state. The I think that Shapiro and the Democrats would like this to be about Mastriano more than Mastriano wants this to be about Shapiro. That part of it is clear. I think it, if he was following some kind of traditional playbook here, Mastriano would try to make this election about Joe Biden. Right? He would he would run on the economy. He would stop talking about the election fraud did not exist in the way that he says it did. He would stop that. He would he would talk about the things that are going to win or could win in in, sub, in the suburbs. I don't think that he has that discipline or has demonstrated that discipline. So you're right. He is running some much
1: different kind of campaign. Do you have a sense, I I, I do not, but I don't have the sense in, that he has a large payroll. You know, I think it's fairly common at this point. Once again, I think listeners are taking away this is not a common uh, campaign in any sense, but that a primary... Candidate might have, let's say, a dozen paid staffers, and then that'll triple, if not more, uh, at this point. Um, building, I mean, so when you're when when you were up there, are you engaging at all with with people on his payroll, or it was just him, his wife, his constituents?
0: You know, when he was in a couple of different parades, there were a few people with him who I'd recognized from videos before that my you know interactions with were limited to. That's enough questions for. <laughs> the Senator uh, we're leaving now, or, you, you know, it was not a, uh it, it wasn't, there was no altercation, but it wasn't like some, and it was entirely pleasant. It just was not, um, it's not like we had a sit down round table with the, the candidate and his staff. I would expect it to grow. I mean, he said, he said as much, I think after the primary, he told his supporters that the team, you know, they needed to expand the team, maybe change it in some way. Though There's, you know, I, I have no idea what that change might look like. Yeah. If he's going to be competitive, he's going to have to do that. And if he ends up raising any money, he'll have to do that as well because those donors will expect some more professional kind of, of campaign operation. I, ju- I just think it's not in evidence yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're about 125 days out and there's only so much Republican campaign talent that can stop what they're doing and, uh, go to, uh, you know, whatever media market of Pennsylvania. So, uh, Time's a waste then. Uh, so, you know, a final question uh, or two. As I said, we're about 125 days out. That's an eternity in politics. Anything could happen. But, you know, what are the lenses that you're looking through that you think other reporters, you think that Pennsylvania voters should be looking through? Because it is going to become a sprint. And uh, I think there's going to be some twists and turns. But, you know, what are you most curious about?
0: I guess I'm curious if the race even keeps the, the traction that it, that it does now. I mean, there's some school of thought that, like, Maybe Mastriano doesn't have to raise any money. Maybe maybe he just right now Shapiro's advertising. There's money in that race, but it's going to be totally dwarfed by the Senate race in Pennsylvania, right? So if you're Mastriano, I mean, maybe you don't have to change a lot. Maybe you just have your name. You you keep appealing to your base. You do that on Facebook and YouTube or whatever, and hope that the rest of the universe just gets pays attention to this very very high profile Senate race. And then, as a candidate, you just go along for the ride. Turnout, persuasion, all of that gets done at the Senate level. And as a Republican, you know, in a, what's going to be a very good year for Republicans, by by all accounts, you just you you ride it. So I'm curious if that could work. I I kind of doubt that Mastriano can do that. This is a person who invites controversy at every turn. I, I guess the other thing I'm really interested in Pennsylvania is he is interesting nationally because of this. Marriage that he has of religious talking, um, religious messaging, I guess, and and conservative politics. He's also interesting now as a, a test of of Roe, following the Roe v. Wade decision. You know, he, he's out there as a no exceptions Republican, which seems to be where some candidates in the the GOP are moving. Um, Herschel Walker's in the same situation in Georgia, so Shapiro's hitting him pretty hard on that. And I, I guess I'm curious to see. How that plays out? We got a little taste, maybe, in Nebraska the other day, where there was that special election that you know, was probably closer for the the Republican than you might have otherwise expected. So that's that's the other twist I'm I'm really curious about.
1: So last question related to uh, uh, exactly what you were just saying: President Trump endorsed Dr. Oz, but Doug Mastriano in the primary was not campaigning with Dr. Oz, and it's obviously a very different race when you're running with federal. The money limits uh, versus in Pennsylvania, you can stroke a seven-figure check if one chooses or more. So, did Dr. Oz's name come up at all in these conversations uh, for this great article? Did you see signs for him? I mean, ha- how do you see these two campaigns? I just don't see them working as a hand-in-glove coordinated <laughs> operation, but I don't want to editorialize. I
0: think, I think that may be the fairest statement. You know, it it's curious to me, will they share a stage, right? Will they have uh, joint rallies? I don't know. I, I think it's definitely fair to say it will not be
1: working as a, what did you say, a hand and glove? I said hand and glove, but I mean, I specifically thought of this because the Mastriano position uh, post row is quite clear and black and white. The I believe Dr. Oz took his position Five, if not ten hours after. I mean, it, you know, most most candidates around the country had a tweet prepared, you know, and ready to go. And uh, his position is still pretty gray. So, I mean, and I think there's probably other. And granted, you could argue federal versus non-federal policy, but the, they're they're not necessarily seeing eye to eye. Is my is my sense. So, I'm just curious with the the everyday Pennsylvanians you spoke to, the the kind of Mastriano faithful. There, if you got a sense of their thoughts on our Senate nominee,
0: I got to be honest, I didn't. No. But this is probably a, a limitation of my reporting more than they're thinking. You know, I, I'm there at events with Mastriano and asking them about Mastriano. I was not asking them about Dr. Oz. So I don't have a, a great sense of you know, where the Mastriano base is in, in relation to Oz. I wish I did. I should come back again.
1: Uh, I was just going to say, it sounds like you got to come back. But I guess the fact that these, uh, these folks didn't proactively uh, volunteer their enthusiasm for uh, Dr. Oz at the top of the ticket, maybe we should read into that. But anyhow, David, I'm super grateful for your time. I'm always grateful when folks come to Pennsylvania and help the economy and uh, spend money in small towns. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, hey, I really appreciate you having me on here. This was fun. Thank you. Good deal. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform. Please also consider following us on social media for updates and announcements regarding future episodes and new guests. You're political, so I am sure that you're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We are too at PA Political Podcast. Visit our website, papoliticalpodcast.org, and send us your feedback about this episode and suggestions on future guests. Until next week.